Okay, a formal good morning to you all. So shall we pray. So speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us. Shape and fashion us in your likeness. Well, this morning we move on about 50 or 60 years from yesterday when we were thinking about Isaiah. We are projected to the time immediately before what Isaiah had prophesied in the latter part of his prophecy. That time when the judgment of God would come to his people. Israel, the northern kingdom, had already fallen during, uh, during Isaiah's lifetime. But Judah, the southern kingdom, would also fall to an invading power and God's people will be taken into an exile that would last for 70 years. This would be courtesy of Nebuchadnezzar. He was the ruler of Babylon, if you remember, uh, after the downfall of the Assyrian Empire. Like Isaiah, Jeremiah was also a prophet of Judah, the southern kingdom. And there were other prophets uh, during his time, the likes of Ezekiel in Daniel, uh, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, and Nahum. Now you know where the Chandlers got their name from. So what today, as we look at Jeremiah? First of all, let's look at him as a person and as a prophet. In chapter one, which is one of our chapters today, we see how God called Jeremiah to be the one that he would raise up to be his voice to speak as his prophet at that time to his people. The word of the Lord came to me. So the prophecy opens, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Whilst all this, of course, is for Jeremiah, the word of the Lord was coming to him, it actually says so much to us about God in all his wonder. God knows all. We say that he is omniscient. He knows the end from the beginning. And he knew exactly how the future was going to play out for him to be calling Jeremiah at this time. And then to know that Jeremiah was going to be his man for the moment. Cometh the hour, cometh the man. And he was the one that would be serving God at this time. In his foreknowledge, God had said that he not only knew Jeremiah before he was born, but even before he was conceived. And then God reminded Jeremiah that he was his creator. He had formed him. And as God calls Jeremiah, we also see God's sovereignty and authority. Before you were born, God says, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. No pressure, Jeremiah. And I suppose upon hearing this, you would think that Jeremiah would be feeling very special to be chosen by God to serve him in this way, but not so. Once again, we have echoes of Moses and Gideon 
and others who shy away, each giving their reasons. For Jeremiah, it was that he was too young and he wouldn't know how to speak as a prophet needs to be able to speak. Jeremiah's father was Hilkiah, we're told, and Hilkiah was a priest. That meant that the day would come eventually when Jeremiah would follow in his father's footsteps to also be a priest. Maybe he was just content to fulfill this role. Maybe he thought that becoming a prophet with the nation in the state that it was going to be would be all too hard for him to do. So much easier to follow in father's footsteps. But whatever, he was God's choice and God just discounts all his excuses. We often say that when God calls, God equips. And God encourages Jeremiah and the secret of his doing God's will and the secret of fulfilling his, his mission as God's prophet would be obedience, obedience. Go to everyone I send, send you to, says God, and say whatever I command you. Don't be afraid. I am with you and will rescue you. As he recounts this encounter with God, he goes on to say, Then the Lord reached out his hand, and he touched my mouth, and he said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. God was going to empower him, and not only that, to speak through him. Jeremiah's words were going to be God's words to his people at that time. And then God shares with him two images. The branch of an elden tree and a boiling pot tilting away from the north. The first, I don't really have time to explain it, but you might like to look it up for yourself. The significance of the almond tree, the first tree in the year to blossom. Um, which is taken as a barometer for how things will pan out through the seasons. And people watch the almond tree um, to uh, see how the weather goes and so on, the seasons of the year. And uh, the first would speak of the way that God will be watching to see that his word is fulfilled. The second, that disaster would come upon the nation from the north, the Babylonian Empire. Nebuchadnezzar himself and all that. So that's Jeremiah, the person in the prophets. But what about the prophecy itself, the book? Well, we're told it's the longest book in the Bible. I got that from a commentary. I didn't count all the words of the books. Not in terms of chapters, but it is in words, the longest in words, apparently. In chapter two opens up with the word of the Lord coming to Jeremiah again. He was to go to Jerusalem and proclaim God's message. This was going to be a test of his obedience. 
whole of the chapter is given over to God pouring out his heart to his people. Seemingly unable to understand how, after all that they were, and all that God had done for them, how could they ever think of turning their backs upon God? He said he felt like a husband whose wife had left him to go after others, and they were behaving like prostitutes. And God asks, what fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt? The priest did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols. And God concludes, but my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. I find that such a profound statement, so relevant for God's people in our day. Are we exchanging our glorious God for worthless idols? But then he continues, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. They've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Most of the book up until chapter 35 uh, is God's warnings to Judah. It speaks of the exile, exile into Babylon, but characteristically, characteristically, the God of grace, who we must remember is slow to anger, who promised them restoration. Then there's a couple of chapters about Jeremiah himself, where he talks about his own sufferings and the persecution that he had to go to as go through as a prophet of God uh, in uh, those days at that time. And then the remainder of the book opens out beyond Israel, with God pronouncing judgment on a whole range. Uh, of other nations. And uh, I think this is perhaps a step change in how we see the word of God unfolding in the Old Testament. I wouldn't be specific on that, but that's just my uh, recollection. But what for us this morning? As we go through these books and we read the events of the day, we do learn about those and God speaks to us through them, the example of others and so on, or perhaps not the example that we should be following of others. But all the time beyond that, we're seeing the bigger picture. God revealing himself, how he interacts with his people and with the nations at various times. And I think in here, in these chapters, there's so much for us to learn about God. First of all, he's the God of the individual. He loves us all. We are all special to him. And he has purposes for us all, just as he had purposes for Jeremiah. There's so much I think we can learn from chapter one. Listening for God. Listening to God. Hearing the word of the Lord for us and then being obedient to him.
perhaps at this time at Abbey, as we consider how the church will be for the future. We each need to be listening for God and listening to God to be responsive to him and to rise up to the challenge that he may have for us, like Jeremiah needed to, knowing that the Lord would equip him. And then he is the God of Israel. He still loves them for all their waywardness. He had chosen them and he still has purposes for them. And all believers in the Lord Jesus are his people too. We are the bride of Christ. We love him because he first loved us. And from time to time, we need to consider where we are in our relationship with him. How is our love for God? I've mentioned it before in the previous devotions that uh, I took earlier in the series. To an outwardly and active church in Revelation, the Lord said, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. But then, finally, Jeremiah also shows that God is the God of the nations. At the end of his prophecy, as the whole book focus, uh, opens out, pans out from Israel, and he takes in chapter after chapter, separate prophecies against different nations. God is the God of the nations. He's the God of the whole world. And he loves all of them as well. We know the verse so well, John 3:16. God loved, so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We remember some of the last words of Jesus. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Like Jeremiah, we need to go, we need to say, and not be afraid, remembering that he is with us.